encounter church. Hey, how are y'all doing today? Everybody good? Yes? Coming off a long weekend? We're good. All right, encounter church, we wanted you to know, we were talking this week as a staff, and we are grateful for you. We were talking about how grateful we are for such an invested, incredible community of people who are dedicated to this place, who serve and give and are committed to the mission that people far from God would find new life in Christ. So we didn't want to miss a moment just to say thank you. We praise God for you. We're grateful to be a part of a community like this. And even if you're new and just checking us out and trying to figure out what all this is about, we are grateful for you as well. And uh, yeah, love the chance to get to know you. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Joe. I'm the location pastor at our Fulton Heights location, and we're broadcasting over there now, and I just want to say, hey, hey, Fulton Heights, what's up? Yeah, uh, we're here, yep, and for those of you online, for those of you here at Kentwood who haven't had the chance to get over there, man, it is such a good group of people. It's so fun to be kind of like this neighborhood church. It's fun to watch people like walk up to church as well. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to get over there, we'd love for you to stop by and say hello. But yeah, Fulton Heights, what's up? Dirk is actually over there right now. So what's up, Dirk? What's that? Okay. Uh, Hey, uh, over the last few weeks, Dirk has been doing an incredible job of opening God's word and talking about like helpful wisdom, about how to be less impacted by people's issues and more aware of what God is building in our lives, more aware of what God wants to do in us and through us. We've been talking about people problems, people problems, and I think that we all got a front row seat because it was Thanksgiving, and so many of us got to spend time with friends and family, and my goodness, even those of you with like super healthy family dynamics are probably just a little bit recovering, not only from too much turkey, but just some time, extended time with family. And we get to see there's just these little moments where people show us a little bit about themselves, and they show us a little bit about us, and we start to see like, oh, I'm not crazy about that. So a couple weeks ago, Dirk talked about needy people. He's also talked about controlling people, people that no matter what, like they need to get, they need to have their own way. Last week, he talked about hypocritical people, people who say one thing but do another. And this week, we're talking about, are you guys ready? I know you're so excited. We're talking about critical people. Yay! Uh, Here's a list of of all the things, a short list, of all the things that drive me crazy about critical people. I'm just kidding, but here's the thing. Uh, I want to recognize that there's a wide range of categories when it comes to critical people. There's this one side, and we know it when we see it, and it can be super, super dark and unhealthy, and it's what we call a critical spirit, someone who sees everything as broken, who overlooks good stuff, someone who always assumes the worst and tears down other people and like leaves a wake of negativity behind them. And then somewhere kind of more towards the center are people who likely mean well, but even on good days they have the gift of pointing out flaws. Uh, They lean towards negativity that can be nitpicky or cutting or opinionated. They might use phrases like, hey, I'm just being honest, or, you know, I'm just saying, like, somebody needs to tell them. And you might have a critical coworker, somebody who's kind of always pointing out negative stuff in the office, assuming the worst 
almost about everything, who constantly complains and like just kind of like just takes out all the enjoyment of your time around them. You know, you might even be like a friend, someone who you're really close with, someone who you really actually like, but they have this thing where they just kind of point stuff out about you that stings, it can make you feel insignificant. They might say like, man, I can't believe you're wearing that tonight. Like, you're so brave. I could never do that. And you're like, dude, was that like a compliment? No, it's not. And you're starting to realize that you're tired after you hang out with them. You find yourself wanting to change plans. Maybe you're trying to avoid specific or certain conversations. And the relationship is kind of moving towards this competitive place. And it just kind of, it's kind of draining. And man, you know, some of us, some of you might have critical parents. You feel like when it comes to conversations with your parents, you can never measure up. You might feel like they're judging the decisions that you're making, that the choices that you make might not ever feel like they're good enough for them. Questions like, hey, when are you going to get dating again? Like, what about, what about marriage? Grandkids? When are you going to start going to like a different church? That church you go to, it's so loud and dark. Sometimes people can be really, really good at being critical. Like it's a part-time job, like it's a spiritual gift, like they've made it into an art. They've perfected this ability over the years. You might know someone that it feels like every Christmas they get better and better at making you feel worse and worse and worse about yourself. And a life of faith should not be disconnected from our issues with people. In fact, if a spiritual framework doesn't offer help for our most basic relational issues and needs, then something significant is missing. And even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're unsure about what you believe about the Bible, I think we can all probably agree that there's something that makes people critical, and we've all got it. It's kind of at the core of who we are if we're not careful and don't guard ourselves from it. And the Bible gives us a lot of wisdom on why we get critical, how to respond to critical people, and how to keep ourselves from a critical heart. And there's a group of people in the Bible that shows us a glimpse of how easy it can be to develop a critical heart. So we're going to go there. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 11. If you've got a phone, you can use that. And uh, otherwise, you can just jump uh, on the screen. It's up there. Numbers chapter 11. This is what it says. The rabble. Man, I love that. The rabble. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. At no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And the manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents, and the Lord became exceedingly 
angry, and Moses was troubled. Here's some context for this story. The Hebrew people were miraculously brought out from generations of bondage in Egypt by God in a dazzling display of his power. God delivered the people from battles. He cared for them. He brought in strong leaders. He kept them safe and continued to provide. Scripture tells us that their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out for the entire time that they were in the wilderness. And he provided food with this stuff called manna. Manna is explained a couple of times in scriptures, and it's honestly like a fascinating thing. Scientists have tried to figure out the physical properties of this stuff that was on the ground every morning. But honestly, it, it doesn't sound bad, like coriander seed, olive oil wafers made with honey. I, could, I mean, I could get behind that. It met the nutritional needs of thousands of peoples for years and years and years. Each morning, the people had a physical and spiritual reminder that God had not forgotten them. It was a miracle every morning. How amazing to be a part of something like that, to experience a miracle from God every day. And then the the rabble, the rabble. I know you probably use that word just in conversations a lot. People started to complain over a lack of variety. It's something that I can understand. But then they started to say things like, we had fish at no cost. Like, spoiler alert, they were slaves. Like, life was not good. You know, they they were taking the good parts of indentured servitude with the tough parts of living in the desert, depending on God. They're basically saying, you know, like, slavery had its moments. Like, there was some upside. Scripture says they began to crave meat. Beyond desire, they coveted. The, the Hebrew word is actually a lusted after lust for something different. And it's more than just a little hoping for some variety. It developed into a very powerful longing. It was all that they could pay attention to. The language here indicates what can happen to us when we let our desires define us. The language, it indicates what we can, what can happen to us when we let our desires define us. That's what they were experiencing. The simple thought of, hey, wouldn't it be great to have some meat with this? Like turned into this idea of like, wait, why won't God give us something different? And that turned into like, we deserve something other than this manna every day. God must be holding out on us. We had it better when we were slaves. God owes us. They were fixating on the flaws of daily meals that fell from the sky at the hand of God. But before we make them like, you know, enemies or terrible people, I think it's something that we can all understand. We can all do it. Let's take a look at why we get critical. What makes a critical heart and what breaks a critical heart? Uh, criticism is a coping mechanism rooted in pain or insecurity to deflect attention off of our personal shame. Let me say that one more time. Criticism is a coping mechanism rooted in pain or insecurity to deflect attention away from our personal shame. It's an armor to mask feelings of fear, 
of inadequacy, of despair, and it shifts the spotlight away from me and onto something else. And it generates, for me, it generates feelings of safety and superiority. Oh, superiority, it's so great, isn't it? Brene Brown has some great stuff on criticism and critics. And sometimes people can become critical because we're motivated by a need to compare ourselves favorably with the people around them. And we all tend to judge ourselves or to judge others in areas where we feel the most vulnerable and we feel not good enough. A part of this process is a protection mechanism. It's, it oversimplifies people or, simpli- uh, or situations. It oversimplifies them by categorizing them as either all bad or all good because it makes it easier for us in our brain to kind of feel like we can distance ourselves. When the skill is leaned on too heavily, the defense mechanism simply becomes a weapon. And we've, we've experienced that. We, we know like when we can be critical that we're kind of building a wall up around ourselves, but eventually that thing that we use for defense, we actually kind of push it over on people and it starts act, taking the offense rather than, than the defense. It starts to harm others. But one thing that we know is that being critical is actually not really good for us. It's not a good, healthy thing. Well, you might acknowledge in moments of criticism that, man, it can strain relationships. It also causes self-inflicted wounds. A study from neurologists and researchers from King's College in London found that a habit of prolonged negative thinking diminishes your brain's ability to reason and form memories. It essentially drains your brain's resources. So we know that it's bad for us, and and we can also kind of make the jump to assume that it's also not the way of Jesus. When we know who we are in Jesus Christ, we can accept grace because we understand that it was freely given to us in Jesus. When we receive grace, it allows us to release ourselves judgment and our criticism of ourselves and of other people. The grace of Jesus, when you can receive it freely, it actually makes you more durable. The grace of Jesus actually makes you resilient because we believe that insecurity makes us critical. Insecurity creates criticism in us and grace creates durability. Grace makes us Durable. Grace, guys, is good for you. Grace is good for you. And if you're naturally one of the, like, I'm just being honest, I'm telling people how it is, people, you're starting maybe to get a sense that in the relationships that matter most to you, it's actually harmful for your heart and your relationships. Here's, here's a couple thoughts. If you find yourself being critical in moments, kind of drifting towards criticism, I think just pointing it out, being, being observant and pointing to the obvious, saying, hey, you know, like, I'm sorry. I'm being super critical. I think I'm being judgmental. 
And I think I'm making them out to be a terrible person because I feel threatened. Like, that level of self-awareness in friendships is actually a really refreshing and healthy thing. And it's okay to say it. It's okay to speak it out because we have the opportunity in those moments to really learn something about ourselves. And so when you see yourself drifting towards criticism, when you see yourself starting to cut other people down in just minor ways, I think I want to invite you to consider two things. The first thing is ask yourself, what's my perspective here? What's, what's the perspective? Remember that we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge other people by what? Their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions, like, hey, I really tried. And then, but we're judging other people by their actions. We're holding them to a standard that's often something that we couldn't live up to on our own. So when we ask, what's my perspective, we start to be able to identify that, I mean, we're being pretty critical on people, and where's that coming from? The other question we can ask is, what's my motive? What's my motive? Do I care about this person or do I want to care about this person? Criticism is built on destruction to make ourselves shine. We're going to blow out someone else's candle so that our candle burns more brightly. But critique and constructive feedback can be offered in truth and in love. And it's meant to build others up. When you find yourself leaning toward criticism, ask yourself if you're willing to choose constructive feedback instead. Now, what's the difference between critical spirit and constructive criticism? A a critical person, a critical spirit is obsessed with an attitude of fault finding. And it seeks to tear other people down. But a constructive criticism speaks truth and love in order to what? To build someone else up. You're invested in that person, so you want to offer feedback to help raise them up. And the difference between the two is just motive and delivery. The difference between a critical spirit or a moment of criticism and critical feedback or constructive feedback is motive and delivery. We've probably all had mixed experiences with like receiving feedback from people, and it's based on self-awareness, it's based on the the nature of the relationship, what kind of trust there is, the emotional intelligence, and the tact. And whether you're in a relational situation with a friend or a family member, or you're in a professional setting and you need to offer feedback on actions or behavior, there's a couple like quick guidelines for how we can offer constructive feedback for people. The first is timing matters. Timing matters. When's the right moment for you to have this conversation? It's a really simple question, but one we kind of race past because we're like, i got to talk to them about that. And so as soon as they walk in the door, you kind of pounce on them. Like if you want to have some constructive feedback for your boss, like you don't do it at like 8.25 when they like first sit down at your desk. If you have constructive feedback for a coworker, you don't do that like right when they're sitting down for lunch. You kind of wait for the right moment. Use wisdom there. Same for a spouse or a roommate. Like right when they walk in the door for be like, a couple things that are driving me crazy about you. It's not the right moment. Timing matters. The second piece of uh, idea is feedback should be invited. Feedback should be invited, not imposed. Has critique been requested? Like, is that where the relationship is at? Or are you just kind of barging in with some thoughts about how this person can get better at life? You know, one simple way to do that is just by saying, hey, I care about you. Can, Can I offer you some feedback? And if they say no, go, okay. But if they say yes, then man, they have opened the door for you to offer some thoughts because you are invested in building them up. 
The third thing is face-to-face. Face-to-face, like whenever possible, we should give feedback to someone, not about someone. The easiest, kind of most socially acceptable and, and honestly like devastating things is gossip. Like we've all seen it destroy relationships. We've all seen it like crush workplaces. Uh, and we can drift towards that. And so the, the goal of like, hey, I'm going to have this conversation to you, with you, not about you, is just a great way to cut that off. The last thing is to be precise. To be specific. Feedback should be as specific as possible. It's not great when you just say, hey, you know, I hate it when you do dumb stuff. Like that, what am I supposed to do? I agree with you. I hate it when I do dumb stuff too. Like, do you have anything more specific for me here? And what's better is to be like, hey, when you said that thing, I'm not sure if you know this, but it was pretty hurtful. And and I think sometimes you might like not realize that when you're trying to be clever or funny, um, it can actually be really hurtful. This may or may not be an example that someone's done to me. So to be specific, so timing matters, face-to-face, feedback should be invited and it should be precise. And chances are if you're not doing these things, even if and when your motive is pure, that you're invested in that person, you want to build them up, chances are you could be coming across as critical. Okay, but now what happens when you're on the other side of it? What happens when people have thrown out all the constructive rules, they get you at the wrong time, you haven't asked for it, you don't think the relationship is there, and they just want to point out some stuff that they don't like about you? Like, no matter who you are, what you do, you will face critical people in your life. Like, first off, like, let's not be surprised when people get critical. Let's not, like, be, like, shocked when it happens. And when people get critical, there's a healthy way to approach it. And I think one of the ways is, is the idea of rising above. Rising above it. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, eloquently says this. A person's wisdom yields patience. A person's wisdom yields, yields means to make way for. A person's wisdom makes way for patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. This idea of like, don't just get over it. Don't get over it. If someone says something hurtful to you, don't pretend like it didn't happen. I think the author here is inviting us to get over it, to rise above it. We rise over it by realizing that when I'm deeply grounded in Jesus Christ, I don't live and die by people's opinions of me by the words that they say to my face or behind my back, because I have my security in my connection to Jesus. I am not insecure about myself. I am secure in my standing with God as God's child. We are not like get over it, shove it down, pretend it didn't happen, and move on people. We are overcomers. As Christ followers, we are rise above it. Just like a pilot. Like a pilot bringing an airplane above the turbulence in a thunderstorm. He doesn't pretend that the storm isn't there. She simply pulls up above the weather and finds calmer air beyond the clouds. That's what we're called to. We're called to rise above it. We're called to take this airplane, not driving through the clouds, but to rise above with a healthier perspective because of our confidence and security in 
Christ. And I know, I know the, the gravity. Sometimes we feel like pilots and we're just like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive right through those clouds. <laughs> I'm going to choose danger for everyone. I'm going to make this painful. And we all know that that's unwise. We've all been on both sides of that decision. I think a life following Christ is one we're going to say, I'm going to rise above this. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense, to rise above it, to fly over the clouds. I found a couple of helpful phrases for me um, that I've used when I want to respond in a healthy way uh, to criticism. One is just very simply redirection, and it's changing the subject. Like, and just saying these words, hey, can I, can I change the subject? And then just start talking about anything else. Can you say that? Say, hey, can I change the subject? Oh, you guys are so good at this, man. Uh, another one that's really, really simple is, is identifying that the person cares a lot about this. Hey, man, I, I can tell that you care a lot about this. I can tell that it really bothers you when that happens. But you know what? I'm just going to choose to not let this bother me today. And then what do you do? Talk about something else. And my personal favorite, which may or might not work for you, is this. Uh, it's simply the phrase, you may be right. Can you guys say that? You may be right. You may, oh, you know, I might be right. Thank you so much. I might be right. It's brilliant because you're like identifying like, yeah, you have some valid points. But you're also going like, yeah, I'm going to do something else. Yeah, you may be right. And then what do you do? You just change that subject. You just start talking about Michigan beating Ohio State. Another form of rising above is simply choosing to not respond. It's, a, it's a, I think, a healthier version of the change the subject. Jesus shows us over and over again how to respond when people tried to tear him down. He was playing a very different game than the people around him. Just because someone has access to you and they can be critical, you do not owe them a response. You don't owe people a response to their criticism you get to decide what sticks. You get to decide what sticks. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23, this incredible passage of Scripture, this is what Peter says. When they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is Peter talking about Jesus. Peter was the outspoken disciple whose words often got out ahead of him. I don't think the significance of Peter talking about this can be lost on us. Many point to Peter as one who had his critical moments. He's even the one who takes retaliation to a whole nother level when he grabs a sword from one of the officers that came to arrest Jesus before he was crucified. Peter grabs this guy's sword and cuts off his ear, presumably going for the larger target that it was attached to. And game respects game. Peter knows that if anyone had the moral high ground to retaliate with cause, that it was Jesus. And yet Jesus trusts the plan of God. Jesus decided that he was strong enough in his identity and his purpose to not need to, to respond. 
And Jesus not only knew betrayal from the rabble, (laughs) from the outsiders, he knew betrayal and hurtful words from those that were closest to him as well. Peter is the one who betrayed Jesus in his final hours. He said the words, I do not know the man. And in many ways, that's what a critical spirit can feel like when someone attacks you with their negativity, with their fault finding. It can feel like a a, a small form of betrayal, can it? But Jesus didn't retaliate against Peter. He forgave him. He sacrificed himself. He died for Peter. He offered Peter a fresh start. And that's the same love that we can offer to others. And just like Peter, we've experienced that forgiveness. That fresh start has been extended to us, even in our betrayal as well. It's the same love that we can offer to others, to not be critical, to not be judgmental, but to give grace, to overlook offenses, to trust God with other people's hurtful words, to trust God with their critical spirits and their cutting observations. Man, that's the kind of people we want to be. It's the kind of people that we've committed to become when we choose to follow Jesus. So church, what would it look like to rise up? What would it look like to rise above, to take the airplane out of the storm and fly above the clouds? To acknowledge that your security is not at the whim of other people's words. Your value doesn't come by whether people are critical of you or not. It comes in knowing who you are in Christ and believing that the grace that's been extended to you is strong enough when it comes through you that you can extend it to other people. Believing that the grace isn't weakness, it's actually resilience, it's strength. What would it look like for you this week to choose a different path that moves away from criticism, that moves away from self-judgment, that moves away from a critical heart, that chooses to rise above and to receive, accept, and, and extend the grace of Jesus to your roommates, to your coworkers, to your spouse, to your girlfriend, to your parents. That's what we're called to. And I think it's the path that we want to walk. So let's pray together. Jesus, that is our heart to receive the grace that you've given to us. To not have our worth be dependent on every word that other people say, but to trust who we are in you, to have a clear picture of the grace that you've given us and the ability to generously hand it to others. God, could we rise above? Could we fly over the storms? And realize that that's not weakness, it's strength. And could we live with love to those around us? That is our hope and prayer this week. Amen. Hey, church. 
It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.